Hey, Rob Bradford here. You guys know I'm always up for a good MVP story, and one of the best stories is Wasabi Technology. Wasabi is the world's hottest cloud storage company, and it's become the go-to provider for professional and collegiate sports teams, including 20 major league baseball teams like the Red Sox and NHL teams like the Bruins and Vancouver Canucks. Even the Liverpool Football Club is getting in on Wasabi action. So why is Wasabi the MVP? Well, Wasabi was purpose-built to free businesses from skyrocketing storage costs and unpredictable transaction fees that the Amazons of the world are charging. In fact, Wasabi is up to 80% less than those hyperscalers and doesn't charge a cent for businesses to access their data. From Wasabi's AI-enabled intelligent media storage, Wasabi Air, to the industry's only cloud storage service with triple protection against cyber criminals, data deletion, and ransomware, Wasabi's taking the lead in driving innovation in data storage and helping sports teams to unleash the power of their data. Wasabi, another Boston-based championship team. Tonight, we are pleased to announce the addition of one new member to the Hall of Fame fraternity who will be honored alongside Fred McGriff at the induction ceremony on July 23rd at the Clark Sports Center here in Cooperstown. A two-way superstar playing 17 seasons for the Phillies, Cardinals, Reds, and Blue Jays. Today, Scott Rowland becomes a member of the National Baseball Hall of Fame. Welcome to the Ballpark Dimensions podcast with me, Mandy Bell, Guardian's beat reporter for MLB.com and Sarah Lang's researcher and reporter for MLB.com as well. Sarah, we have new news. I guess you can't have new news. I guess that's just news in general um, that we have a new Hall of Famer. And I know we purposely waited to record this just to see because we knew it was going to be a close race this year. We weren't sure exactly who, if anyone, was going to be sneaking in. And as it looks, it came down to the wire for even the man of the hour, Scott Rowland, which, one, I love watching these types of moments because it's so cool to see their families um, with them whenever they get this type of news. Whenever MLB Network showed him first starting to have his first interview afterwards and the family screaming in the background to the point that he couldn't even really talk over them. That stuff is always so fun. I know the Hall of Fame brings a lot of controversy every year with everyone wanting to have their opinions heard, whether it be an actual writer, just a fan. Everyone has an idea of who should be in, who should not be. But when it gets down to it, whoever does get in, it is such a cool moment, I think, to see them celebrate. And Scott Rowland's tonight was great. Uh, Scott, what goes through your mind when I describe you, and this is how you'll be described for the rest of your life and afterwards, Hall of Famer Scott Rowland? <laughs> 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 That's that's what goes through my mind right there. A hundred percent. First of all, I'm very excited that we're doing our first kind of breaking news podcast. So whenever you're listening to this, we're literally recording 
less than an hour after it was announced that Scott Rowland got in. I think that's a really cool moment just to be able to do that. And I know we're both so grateful to be able to do this. But let's talk about the man of the hour, Scott Rowland. I agree. People certainly like to. It's like they save up all of their opinions all year. And then in the sort of two months, Leading up to this date when the Hall of Fame gets announced, all of a sudden, everyone in the world is the most opinionated person you have ever seen. And you know what? I love that people have such strong feelings about something baseball related. I am not one to really argue about these things. I'll certainly present stats and, you know, in that way imply whether I think someone is deserving but at the end of the day, these are outstanding players. It's really, really cool to see them get their moment. With Scott Rowland, of course, he won Rookie of the Year back in 1997. A seven-time All-Star, eight-time Gold Glove winner. He won the 06 World Series with the Cardinals. And he won the Silver Slugger as well. And if you look at Jaws, which I believe we've talked about on here, but that's the Jay Jaffe-induced um, calculation that considers war and the peak moments of your war, the peak seven years, and you compare Scott Rowland to the existing Hall of Famers at the position. Of course, now he's in as well. His overall career war, his war over his seven peak years, and his draw score, all of which were ahead of the existing Hall of Famers at their base even before he was voted in. So a very simple thing you can look at on baseball reference really leaves no doubt. And my favorite stat with him was something that came about once he got elected. So he had 10.2% of the vote when he debuted on the ballot. That is the lowest debut percentage by anybody to eventually get voted in on the BBWA ballot by the writers. And I think that's a really cool testament to all of these people who I know I was kind of chiding at the beginning, but to everybody who does put their heart and soul into writing about the Hall of Fame because his numbers didn't change. Nothing about his career changed, but the way it was covered and the way people talked about, about it, about his career and about what he had done made it so in the course of five years, people realized, hey, this guy should be here in the Hall of Fame. So the fact that he debuted at the lowest point of anybody to get in without a veterans committee or anything else is really a cool moment to me. No, I think that's super cool. I mean, it's it's definitely unique with uh, how long you can ride out on that ballot, assuming you get enough votes and you beat that threshold to be able to stay on another year, how long you can stay on for baseball and, and try to have that case be sort of pitched for you. It's not like you're standing out there campaigning for yourself and can explain why you deserve it, but... These cases, whenever there are, they're studied so much and there's people out there who dedicate so much time just to the Hall of Fame itself. 
um, these cases become more and more obvious. And of course, another thing is like each year there's headliners, there's huge names. We've had a couple the last few years. Um, and whenever we don't have those headliners, sometimes guys like Scott Rowland become more obvious whenever you're starting to look, is there someone who's worthwhile? And you don't have someone like Mariano Rivera sealing the show. You don't have like a Derek Jeter. We've had such huge names over the last few years. Um, I mean, there's definitely objective parts of this. And I thought that Brian Kenny on the MLB Network show explained that pretty well of how you're, he pulled it up and showed how he Scott Rowland was in the top 10 of war. And if you put uh, together an all-war lineup, basically, of the highest at each position right now, Scott Rowland would be a third baseman um, of looking back through all the standings. And so you, you look at those types of things, and yeah, that's pretty clear cut of where he ranks uh, among all of the best. But when it comes down to it, it's such an objective thing, or a subjective thing. Um because everyone has opinions and whenever things are subjective, it gets so difficult. And that's why it's, it's tough. You see Twitter right now, there's a lot of, um, instead of hall of fame, it's hall of good or hall of very good. And people like to post that. And, um, it's frustrating just because no matter what you could, you could look at someone like Mariano Rivera, who seems like the most token slam dunk poster child of a hall of famer, because of his numbers, and there's still people out there who would argue why he isn't. And no matter what, everything is subjective when it comes down to this. So um, I I hope that people, when they look at this type of stuff, it's more argumentative in a lighthearted way of just posting opinions and going back and forth to have baseball discussion rather than to actually take personal offense to things that are, are happening and allowing it to be, okay, maybe I wouldn't have voted for him, but that was a really cool moment. And someone else is in the Hall of Fame now. For sure. At the end of the day, this is a good thing for baseball. It's a very exciting thing to see happen. And that's my biggest takeaway. I want to correct myself uh, before I said it was his fifth year on the ballot. It was his sixth and I'm going to use that to transition to talking about some of the individuals who didn't get in, but probably will over the next few years. So he got 76.3% of the vote. Next on the list was Todd Helton at 72.2%. was his fifth year. Based on trends, based on the way we've seen these things go, He'll probably get in next year. He was very close this year. I believe they said he was 11 votes shy. And um, he certainly seems headed there next year on the next ballot. Billy Wagner was next at 68.1% of the vote. He is in his eighth year on the ballot. But I would imagine being at that percentage. You can look this up. I just didn't think to before we talked. But I would imagine receiving that high a percentage with two years to go bows very well for him. Then we have Andrew Jones came in at 58.1%. He's in his sixth year. I think he has a real chance to get in as well. Then Gary Sheffield came in at 55%. He was in, I believe, his, yes, his ninth year on the ballot. And then the top newcomer was Carlos Beltran. 
he debuted at 46.5%. I think that's around what people are expecting. I think if you look just at his numbers, he has the eighth most war of any center fielder ever. And everyone ahead of him is in the Hall of Fame or is Mike Trout, who will be there once he isn't active. I think numbers-wise, Carlos Beltran was probably a first ballot Hall of Famer. I understand that the voters took into account what went on with the Astros and that probably affected all of this. I do think him, his getting 46.5, basically 50% at this start probably bodes well for him. Again, this is only year one. He is a Hall of Famer. We'll see when he gets there. Um, and then you continue down. Jeff Kent was at 46.5%. This was his final year. So he now goes into the group that will be considered by the error committees. And then you continue. I'm not going to read everybody. I will note one thing. So there's a handful of guys who did not receive a vote. And I think we've talked about this on here. Even making the ballot is a huge accomplishment. There's so many players in baseball history, and not all of them even make it onto the ballot. So even the guys who get one vote, two votes, whatever it may be, to me really, truly accomplished something. But the guys to not receive a vote were Matt Cam, Jacoby Ellsbury, Andre Ethier, J.J. Hardy, Johnny Peralta, Jared Weaver, and Jason Worth. To me, I expected Matt Cain to get one vote from someone who covered him in that era. He threw a perfect game. He was kind of the first pitcher. Tim Lincecum and Felix Hernandez were the guys to really show us you could win a Cy Young without wins. That really brought us into that era. But Matt Cain started that. Giants fans would talk about getting caned would be what we now talk about with Jacob deGrom. Going out there, throwing seven innings, allowing a run, and getting a loss. I think for all that he did with that franchise, I expected him to get one vote. Again, a sentimental vote. But to me, he is different from those other guys on the zero. Now again, this is not to say he should be in the Hall of Fame, but I was surprised he did not get a single vote. Like you said, I mean, just making the ballot in general is uh, an incredible honor. And you're starting to look at guys now after Roland made it this year. You're starting to look forward, like you said, of who could probably get in next year. And I think Todd Helton is going to be that type of a person. I think, like you said, Carlos Beltran is going to be there at some point. We just need to know when. But that is interesting to start already thinking about next next year of doing this and who's going to be the big namers on that because there are a handful and um is joe mauer next year because oh my gosh one this is freaky to me because that's someone i actually covered whenever i was an intern filling in for um the the twins and now i'm horrified that i've reached the point that someone i've covered is now already eligible to be in the hall of fame now okay anyway sorry that was my own (laughs) personal moment but um but you have you have someone like joe mauer one i think i think he's a hall of famer i really do 
I don't know if he would be someone who's going to be on the first time, but I think it's going to be uh, like a Beltron where you're looking at it like eventually he's definitely going to get there. It's just a matter of when. Um, but I, I think that there's going to be a handful of guys as Utley next year. I mean, you're looking at a, a handful of names that are going to be pretty exciting to add to the ballot. For sure. So I'm going to read through the ones listed on the uh, Baseball Hall of Fame website. Again, these are eligible players, so theoretically they may not actually make the ballot. But I think when they list these guys, they're essentially expecting them to. So we have Jose Batista, who is certainly in the Hall of Fame of bat flips at the very least. Adrian Beltre, who will be the first ballot Hall of Famer from this group. I don't think there's a question. I remember the day he retired. It was in March, and I believe I had just gotten back to California to visit my grandmother with my mom after spring training. And I remember we were in the car, probably an Uber or whatever, um, and I saw on my phone that Adrian Beltre had retired. And I remember thinking, that's the first ballot Hall of Famer who I saw play. And I know David Ortiz was as well, but to me, Beltre was just another example of someone who is really from our era who is going to be. So that's going to be so exciting. And I mean... I know he's still an active player, but I hope Elvis Andrews can show up and try to touch his head from the stage. I mean, there's so much. And Adrian Beltre really represents so much excitement and fun. And if you're listening to this and you haven't seen the J.C. Penny, I believe it is, ad, where Adrian Beltre was in a commercial one off-season. I'm Googling it now. Uh, he was in this commercial and no one knew who he was. It was the type of thing where they walked in and they were interviewing. Yes, they were (laughs) interviewing just random people, asking them what they were buying for the holidays, whatever else. And it ended up being Adrian Beltran. They had no idea who he was. He was buying, I believe, presents for his charity. It was really, really cool. But at no point did they find, you know, future Hall of Famer Adrian Beltre. Google J.C. Penny Adrian Beltre. I promise you will not be disappointed. It's very cool. That's who he is, and I love it so much. Uh, moving on through this list, we have Bartolo Colon, Adrian Gonzalez, Matt Holliday. Pretty cool to be on the Hall of Fame ballot while your son is one of the top prospects in baseball. I think that's pretty cool. Jim Johnson, the former closer, Victor Martinez, Mauer, as you mentioned, Brandon Phillips, Jose Reyes, James Shields, Utley, as you mentioned, David Wright, and uh, Brad Ziegler. I'm interested to see the support that Chase Otley gets. I think Chase Otley, in addition to being a really good player, just has that cult figure kind of, you know, 
uh, intangible to him. I know there's the stuff with Always Sunny in Philadelphia, and there's so much to him. Hi, I'm Chase Eiley, and today on Philly's Mailbag, I'll be answering a letter from a Philadelphia youngster named Mac. Here's what Mac writes. Dear Chase, I feel like I can call you Chase because you and me are so much alike. I would love to meet you someday. It would be great to have a catch. I know I can't throw as fast as you, but I think you would be impressed with my speed. And I, I think that hair, Philly fan base is really going to rally around him. And I'm sure we'll see a lot of stories about him. And it's interesting because at second base, there's definitely room. You know, if you think about who is already in and sort of the totals of Hall of Famers at various positions, I could see it. Um, I was looking at the draws for second base the other day, actually. And he's closer than I thought in my head because I think of him and I really think of him as that figure more than I think of him as a player specifically, if that makes sense. But he's right there. He's slightly below the total career average war for the 20 Hall of Famers who are second basemen. But his peak seven-year war is five-ish war ahead of that, and his draw score is literally 0.1 below that average. So he's going to be an interesting discussion. Yeah, he brought a lot to those teams, a World Series team. It'd be during that stretch where the Phillies were really fun to watch. I mean, he never finished high in the MVP vote, but he at least picked up a couple of MVP votes each year. During that stretch, I mean, he was something that caught national attention for a short handful of a span. It seems like maybe like five, six years in that window, but um, he was really good. And it's it seems like a long time ago because it was. Um, it, it's hard to believe that mid-2000s, late-2000s was a long time ago, but um, his numbers were really, really good. His numbers with Philly in general for 13 years were really, really good. Um, I know the Dodgers weren't quite the same once he got to that point, but um, yeah, and that Philly fan base, we got to see it all postseason. They're insane in the best way that you could possibly describe it. So um, yeah, there's going to be a lot of noise whenever Chase Utley's on this thing, and I, I think that'll be fun. And I promised I did listen to you but I did go watch that commercial as you were talking because I yes. had no idea that that was a thing. Um, that's hilarious. They're just sitting there what? like taking a random pool of people at JCPenney and they're just talking to them about the giving season. And he just chimes in and is given his answer and no one thinks twice. What do you think is better, giving gifts or receiving gifts? For me, it's more meaningful when the kids, uh, they're excited about giving me something that's not price-wise, but yeah. it's just the word it means for them. Give. And news outlets start picking it up. They're like, um, check that. Do you want to look again and see that that's Adrian Beltre? <laughs> sorry, I had to go watch it when you brought it up. I was like, I'm sorry, what does JCPenney have to do here? Great stuff. So I did see that, and that is hilarious. But yeah, I think next year will be fun. I think it'll be um, interesting to have new, new blood in here. I think we've had a, a lot of big namers the last few years. I think this year was a quieter year, but I think next year we'll get a lot of people talking and focusing on the Hall of Fame vote again. So I'm always excited for that. All right, well, when we come back, we sort of alluded to it last week, but 
We didn't want to give any spoilers, so we can finally hear Sarah's top 10 left fielders that was coming out last week around this time if you didn't watch it live, which you should be regretful if you didn't. And then we can get into a couple more lists as well. So stay with us. We'll talk about active players when we come back. It's blazing hot outside. You get in your car to turn on the AC to get cold air pumping, but it blows hot air out. This issue is commonly caused by low refrigerant due to leaks in the AC system. You want an easy, all-in-one solution that will restore the cold air in no time. AC Pro Recharge Kits. Make restoring cold air easy for even those with zero DIY experience in less than 10 minutes. Save time and money versus going to a shop by picking up an AC Pro Recharge Kit today. Be a pro with AC Pro. Welcome back to the Ballpark Dimensions podcast with me, Mandy Bell, Guardian Speed reporter for MLB.com, and Sarah Langs, researcher and reporter for MLB.com as well. Sarah, you can just start us off with your list from last week. I know we were thinking about getting to it, but um, you are each week, a couple times a week, uh, on MLB Network going position by position, giving your top 10 rankings at each position. And I know last week uh, when we were recording, left fielders were about to come out. We didn't give any spoilers, so we can start with those now. Yes, so left field is a fun one for me because Juan Soto is back here. He had been in right field. We had had him there for two years, but this year we're ranking Soto in left field with the expectation that once Fernando Tatis Jr. is back, he'll be playing right because of course, Sandra Bogart's playing shortstop. So I have had Soto number one at his position for the last two years. But after the year that Jordan Alvarez had, and the fact that this year we were allowed to rank him as a left fielder previously, he had been considered really just a DH, which we don't rank. He is the obvious number one. Jordan Alvarez, I mean, you know, the actual shredder that MLB Network puts together, I don't think it considers postseason, but I think all you need to know is what he did in the postseason. You're done to see the way he can carry a team. Everything he did with his bat absolutely crushes the ball. And my favorite stat with him was that early in the postseason, he had a go-ahead home run in the sixth inning. Uh, with his team trailing, he ends up with three go-ahead home runs in the sixth inning or later. With his team trailing, that is the most imposed in history. No one else even has two for a career, and he hit three of those in one <laughs> postseason. So it's just insane. It was, what, the walk-off? Then he had the go-ahead in the game that ended up going very long. And then um, he had, no wait, I want to get this right. So we're going to pause for Sarah to do live research, which is my most stressful thing I do on this podcast, but we're going to get there. Stressing Sarah out. 
This is, oh no, I already clicked the wrong thing because Panic. I see you staring at me. Panic. Oh my gosh. All right. Should I, I add in the Jeopardy music here or? Oh no. <laughs> Alana, no. <laughs> Alana is our wonderful producer. We've talked about her because we really like her. <laughs> Why is it telling me this? Oh my gosh, no. I was not built for this moment. <laughs> but your Don Alvarez is built for every moment. Look at what you just did right there. Work of art. All right, here we go. Yeah, LDS game one, the walk-off off Robbie Ray. Yes, game two. That one was in the sixth inning off Luis Castillo. The game ends up going very long, but they were temporarily up in the sixth. And then, of course, the home run in game six, the decisive game of the World Series off Jose Alvarado, that three-run home run. So, basically, he has a knack for these clutch home runs. No one else has done this in a postseason career. He did it three times in one postseason. He crushes the ball. He's a really good hitter. He has basically been doing this his entire career, minus when he missed some time with a knee injury. Number two, I did have Juan Soto, and I will scream to the hills that his bad year, quote-unquote, was still much better than so many other players. If you look at hard hit rate on a per-swing basis, there were only, I believe, four guys who hit the ball harder per-swing than Soto. One of them was Jordan, and it just tells you how well he picks those swings. The criticism this year may have been that he was almost too selective. But if you look at OPS Plus during the age 23 season, everyone ahead of him is either a Hall of Famer or Mike Trout or Albert Pools, who will be in the Hall of Fame when they're eligible. I had Kyle Schwarber at third, Stephen Kwan, who I suspect we'll talk more about at fourth. It was very cool to be able to rank a rookie there. We already talked about in center field having Julio, having Michael Harris the second. So I think just having this influx of really good rookie outfielders is really exciting. I had Ian Happ next, Dalton Versho, Andrew Benatendi, Randy Rosarena, Taylor Ward, and Lourdes Gurriel Jr. I will say the guy who was maybe missing from my list was Eloy Jimenez. I had Ben Attendee there instead because I anticipated Ben Attendee would be the one mainly playing in left field for the White Sox this year. But literally today, as of when we're recording, or maybe yesterday, but this week, Eloy said that he anticipates playing the outfield a lot. If that is the case with his bat, he is obviously ahead of a handful of guys, so I was sort of trying to predict the future, which never goes well, of course. <laughs> I noted on here when we were looking at this last week, obviously Jordan is by far and away number one. That's There's not even an argument there. But does it pain you at all to have to put Soto at number two? Like, it, it has to. It has to just be painful to not have Soto number one at his position. Of course. I mean, it does. But you know what? He's 24 years old. He has an entire career I've had of him. 
they're both on Hall of Fame type tracks right now. So I would say, well, it pains me. It's amazing for baseball to have two guys at a position, by the way, that has been a bit thin in recent years. So to have not just a solid one, but a solid one and two is a really good thing for left field overall. Yeah, you, that, I mean, that's obviously a position that has been thin. For the Guardian specifically, the outfield as a whole has been so thin for them really since Michael Brantley left. Like, I mean, I really can't think of many guys that were like a guy for them out there. And then now all of a sudden you have Stephen Kwan being number four on your list, which, again, I agree wholeheartedly, um, because not only was he impressive as a rookie to be able to be a leadoff hitter for the majority of the season and be so patient. We had all of those stats that I went to you every single night for on how many pitches he sees without swinging and missing to start his uh, career. I I think it was 130 or something around that number now. I don't even remember. But um, it was... There's things about him that caught national attention, but as a whole, his season was so complete. Um, as a hitter, as a defender, he now brought a gold glove to left field for Cleveland. Um, they have Miles Straw, who's an exceptional defender out in center field, but didn't quite show it with the bat as much as they were hoping he would. To have a complete player in Stephen Kwan is uh, encouraging for this team and its future. But like the same boat as like a Julio Rodriguez, it's so fun to see what this next generation of players can be. Quan has such a great personality. He talks to the media so, so well. And he'd be someone who I can envision being mic'd up for different things and be more than willing to do that type of stuff. Um, and so I think that that's just a, a fun talent to have in the game right now. So it's, it's cool to see rookies making this type of an impact. If our friends at uh, MLB Originals are listening, Stephen Kwan. we want more Quan content. Yep. Absolutely. Mic them up, guys. 100%. <laughs> All right. So the uh, next list that we had since you and I last talked was first base. I had Freddie Freeman 1, Paul Goldschmidt number 2, Pete Alonso 3, Matt Olson 4. Vlad Jr. 5. Now, this was before Luis Arise was traded to the Marlins, where he's going to play second base. So I did have him next with the expectation he was playing first base for the Twins. So we can kind of ignore that, and that's fine. Uh, Nathaniel Lowe, Ty France, Jose Abreu, and Christian Walker. So looking back on this list and having talked with Brian Kenny and Mike Petrillo and Vince Gennaro, I knew that Vlad Jr., who was my number one last year, would be further down this year. I did not really mean to put him fifth. There are just so many great guys at this position. So Freddie Freeman being a consensus, no questions for him, number one for me. I think if Paul Goldschmidt was a bit younger... I might have felt slightly differently, but even after the MVP season, you know, he did slow down a bit toward the end of the year, and to me, Freddie is just so consistent, so that wasn't a question. Pete Alonso, I think, 
I don't know. I mean, we have these conversations, and I always wonder if I'm, you know, misreading the coverage or whatever, and I know I'm in this sort of New York area. But I think Peter Alonso is a little underrated right now for how good he is. I mean, people remember he had 53 home runs as a rookie, set a record. People know he won two straight home run derbies, but... I'm not sure he fully gets his flowers for being one of the best first basemen in the game right now. And I don't mean defensively. I do mean offensively. But even still, he is a really good power hitter. He's projected for among those top five in home runs we talked about last week. So I did have him three. You know, looking at this again, maybe I have Vlad fourth or maybe Vlad is third there. You're kind of comparing two track records that aren't that different in length. Uh, But I did have Matt Olson there. I know that he didn't have the year that maybe people were expecting when all of the post-trade talk was, oh, I'd rather have him over the next five years than Freddie. He's still a really, really good player. And again, Vlad, I mean, the reason I ended up dropping him slightly was that his plate discipline, which was more impressive to me than any of those home runs in 2021, did drop off a bit. But I don't think that's something you lose. So all of these guys, I mean, this top five, You could put in almost any order, and I'd be happy with it. And one other guy I do want to call out is Nate Lowe, Nathaniel Lowe. I think I mentioned this on here when we were talking back in December. But if you look at second-half offensive stats, batting average, slugging, WRC+, Nathaniel Lowe was second to Aaron Judge, or third behind Judge and McNeil with batting average in almost everything that measures real underlying rate stat, right? So he had the second highest WRC plus in the second half behind Aaron Judge. He had a really, really good second half that I don't think was noticed because the Rangers were out of it. But I think that bodes really well for him moving forward. The top half of this list is such powerhouses that it's just, it's something that's difficult to even rank. I mean, you look, like you said, yeah, maybe Vlad uh, moves up a little bit for you if you're taking a second look at it. But still, you look at the depth of this and to have someone like Vlad Jr. be down at five, it just shows how powerful, how talented this group is. For me, two sleepers are, I know Luis Arise now we wouldn't have under this category, but because he is here for right now, I want to at least touch on him a little bit because he's so odd to me. Like nothing about him makes sense to me. And I think that because of that, I'm so intrigued and, and so invested in that type of a person. Um, he doesn't, I don't know, nothing about him matches up to being such an incredible hitter and that's what he is now you can't compare him to the top half of this list just because it's like comparing apples and oranges when it comes to like power and like what those guys are known for but i know 
talking to Tito so frequently, Terry Francona has always been very high on a rise on how the what type of player he is, how talented he is, how he could he's going to win a batting title one day. I mean, seeing the AL Central with him in it for this amount of time, it seems like the general consensus is like this guy's an animal and they everyone's looked at him that way and now it's a little different he's now out of the central he's now going to be at a different he's not going to be under this list for a position but he's someone that i always want to keep my eye on because it's like all right what let me go look at his batting average today is it like 360 like this is stupid this is ridiculous and so um (laughs) he's someone that i think is fascinating in that sense i I, i'm i'm old school when it comes to batting average I, i love looking at Albert Pujols type numbers from mid 2000s whenever you look at that type of stuff obviously again not the power but um he's someone who I think is very fun and then the other type of person is uh Jose Abreu I I mean again it, it goes to it just speaks to this list and this group because you have him down at nine and two years ago this guy is the MVP and it's just it's insane to think of just the talent that he's among right now um, he was a hot commodity, like going into this off season. I know the guardians really, really were in on him. Um, I think a change of scenery will be interesting to see how that affects him. Um, but I do think that he's another one that is like a wild card where he could be down at the bottom of this list, or he could somehow find his way to being up at the top with the big sluggers. So, um, those are the two more, I don't want to say low profile because they're not, but when you compare it to Freeman, Goldschmidt, Alonzo, and Vlad Jr., like it seems like they are more low profile. But those are the two names that stick out to me. And then the other one we had that aired since we spoke was third base. And now this one was fun because we taped everything right after you and I got back from Disney. And then the next day, Carlos Correa signed with the Twins. And so prior to that, when we had taped, he was going to be a third baseman, we assumed, for the New York Mets. He ends up re-signing with the Twins. He goes to shortstop, and we all have to redo two of our lists. So this is the post-Correa to the Twins third base list. And I had Manny Machado one. It was very close for me between him and Jose Ramirez at one. Ramirez was my number one last year. Both of these guys are MVP candidates every year. Ultimately, I went with Machado because he had a slightly better year by Warren Wade Runs Credit Plus in 2022. But either could be the answer. And again, to me, that was very close. I had Nolan Arenado next. Austin Riley, Rafael Devers, that's another one that was very, very close to me. Two young bats who are going to carry their respective teams for a long time to come. Two guys who are not particularly known for defense. That could have gone either way. I went Riley, then Devers. I had Bregman next. I love Bregman's plate discipline. What I miss is he had this power back in 2018, and he hasn't quite uh, harnessed that back again in quite the same way. 
since then i know he's dealt with injuries but i think if he does rediscover that he's challenging those top five guys and then i had matt chapman who i mean defensive wizard and hits the ball pretty hard doesn't really get talked about for that uh yandy diaz next who all he needs to do is hit the ball in the air and he would be even higher but he is you know a monster at the plate and then i had two defensive guys for my final two and ryan mcmahon and key brian hayes uh i i think it was a few weeks ago and when i say it said mlb.com predicted i was not part of this i don't know if you were part of this prediction um but it said mlb posted something about MLB.com predicted that Jose Ramirez would be the AL MVP this year. Um, I, there would have been some sort of a poll among some of us. I don't know who it was. It wasn't us. Um, you were me, but it would have been it some, was the ghost. It was, it was the MLB.com ghosts who then predicted this. Yeah. Um, but I think a lot of people are starting to expect that just because he's proven that he's so consistent year in and year out. He he is. Um, even through injuries that he's had the last few years, last year, the end of the year we found out that since mid-June he had been playing with like a torn ligament in his thumb. And you could definitely see how the numbers dropped off from that day that he started to complain about the thumb. You didn't know how much it was bothering him. He buried that. Um, at that time, he was asked if, like, he was encouraged to say, okay, go get surgery now and get this fixed. And he's like, yeah, I- I'm not doing that. And I'm going to get back in the lineup right now. Um, so he was very adamant about playing through it. So you could tell that the numbers dipped off, but he was still Jose Ramirez. And I think people are like, okay, it's only a matter of time before he finally wins it. I know it was a battle of the Jose's in 2020 between he and Jose Abreu for the AL MVP. And it ended up going with Abreu, as I just said in the last list. Um, but to me, as much as it is just like, okay, it seems inevitable that eventually he's going to get this because he keeps doing Jose Ramirez type of stuff every year. Um, to me, the double down for this year is I think that the acquisition of Josh Bell is going to make Jose Ramirez so much better. Um, I think we're going to see the same Jose Ramirez we've seen year in and year out, but I think having the protection finally behind him that he's been desperately needing and craving, I'm sure, um, that they were hoping Fran Mo Reyes would provide, and then he was a bust. There was, there's always been trying to put guys behind him to protect him, and the threats just aren't there the way that they've needed to be. And if Josh Bell can be what you've written about in the past, I know I've re- read your story with Jess Camerato last year about how he got off to such a great start. Um, his 2019 season was so great. I mean, if he can get off to a start like that, I think that puts Jose Ramirez in a position where he sees better pitching. Um, and with when he's hitting left-handed as a switch hitter um, and the shift is a little bit different this year, there's limitations. I think all of these things coming together could mean an even better Jose Ramirez in 2023. So I do think that that could be... Um, that could, that prediction, the baseball gods, no, 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 MLB.com gods um, and ghosts. MLB.com ghosts. Ghosts, ghosts, yeah. ghosts. The ghosts yeah. might be correct in that prediction <laughs> um, because apparently I have any knowledge of looking into a crystal ball. But um, I think that's why, to me, it makes sense because it seems like there's an extra piece that's been missing the last few years if a lot of things go right. For sure. And one other guy I want to mention 
that uh, I believe Mike Petrello had on his list and a couple others may have. And I wish I thought to take this chance. Gunnar Henderson. So putting him at like number 10. I did that last year with Adley Rushman. That paid off very well. And Gunnar Henderson, when he came up, all he did was hit the ball really hard, be super suave as we saw with his hair and the helmet coming off. Very important, you know, of course. And uh, he's going to be a star. I mean, the Orioles have some young players who are going to be outstanding. And I love the idea that, I mean, I am sure at this moment, that I'll be ranking Gunnar Henderson next year. I wish I'd thought to do it this year, but I thought that was a fun call-out as well. I think we can uh, go straight to our own fun call-outs. How's that? Do you like that? Do you like that? I love it. Look at you. We can take a quick break, and when we come back, we can talk about what we thought was fun in baseball from this past week. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. back to the Ballpark Dimensions podcast with me, Mandy Bell, Guardians beat reporter for MLB.com, and Sarah Langs, researcher and reporter for MLB.com as well. Sarah, do you have a way of narrowing down probably your eight trillion favorite moments from baseball this past week into one or a montage of one? Yeah, this is really tough. I had a lot of ones that I wanted to pick from for this week, and I'm currently trying to decide if I want to go important or fun or funny. I think I have to go important. So I think I'm going to go with Ronnie Gajownik. I hope I said it right. I meant to listen to it beforehand, being named the manager of the High A Hillsborough Hops. She is the first woman to be named manager of a high team, and she has absolutely earned her way all the way. And she had a quote that I loved that MLB tweeted out. Let me find it one second. She said, I mean, it's very simple, but she said, we do deserve to be here on women in baseball, and no one believes that more than the two of us sitting here recording this podcast and it's just great to see these things becoming even more commonplace. I always say I love that we write stories about these things. I love that they get the attention they deserve but what I really look forward to is when something like this happens and we don't need a big story about it. Because it is so normal. And that is no disrespect to the great stories that have been written. But I want us to get to the point where this is just another hiring. 
Hard to top that one. That one's probably the best moment, definitely. But I think I'm going to stick with the Hall of Fame theme of the night and just sort of like the whole night in general is really, really, uh, it's an emotional experience for the player getting in. As we said before, it's cool to watch Scott Rowan and his family celebrate. I think it's even cooler when the game recognizes it, especially when it's not like this slam dunk of a pick where you were expecting um, Ortiz, Jeter, uh, Mariano like you have all of these guys where the baseball world's just ready for it and uh, MLB posted about Scott Rowland just seconds after the announcement was made and you have players chiming in like I saw Jerry Hairston Jr. post um, like oh if it wasn't for him I would have had at least 10 more hits and like um, like, like it was a great player. Great to see this. And then he starts retweeting all of these defensive highlight reels that have been put together. Um, I really like seeing the baseball world supporting each other in that regard, especially a topic that's so one subjective and two argued about on social media platforms. So to see the reassurance from their opponents chiming in of like, yep, this dude, uh, he robbed me enough. I, I think he deserves to be there. I thought that was a, I thought that was a cool moment to see other players chiming in. I love that. And if you go on Instagram, I haven't yet, but I love how the Instagram algorithm always promotes like comments from, um, from verified accounts. So often when you look at MLB, the comment you see as you scroll is from a current or a former player. So I'm sure there are plenty of those going on right now. I'm going to sneak in one more because it's so good. Of course you are. And because we already have people Googling JC Penny, Adrian Beltre. Mm-hmm. I have another thing for people to go find if they didn't see it already. So the Marlins introduced Johnny Cueto last week. And yes, he entered the ballpark for his presser draped in a Dominican Republic flag with music playing. But that's not the part that stood out to me. The Marlins had their employees, I assume people in social media, people around the office, whatever, do a shimmy like Johnny Cueto. And then they had Cueto rate the employee shimmies. It's about a minute long video. If you Twitter search for the Marlins, you'll find it. And uh, he rates all of these different shimmies. And then he ends up going into the office in the ballpark and handing a little trophy to the guy who won. So just really cool. And I mean, Johnny Cueto is, he has to be, you know, something we should do. Before the offseason ends, when we have some more time, Brian Kenny always talks about his all MLB now team. So it's kind of guys who are underrated but really versatile. So Chris Taylor was all MLB now until he became even more well known. I think we need to put together an all Mandy and Sarah ballpark dimensions team of guys who just represent all of the excitement and happiness about baseball. There are a lot of options, 
Pajani Cueto at the very least would be in the starting rotation. I don't know if he's the game one starter, but he's certainly in that five. So maybe we'll find a time to kind of go through at every position who those guys are. So I had to give that a shout out because raiding the shimmies is just so smart. Like why did no other team think of this before? Brent Phillips is my utility guy. Yep. That's a slam dunk. Oh, yeah. oh, now I'm going to spend the rest of the night thinking about this. Before <laughs> yeah. Sarah gives anyone else any more homework to go look up, I'm going to end this so that she can't do any more. Um, thank you, as always, for, for tuning in to another episode of the Bald Park Dimensions podcast. Don't miss an episode by subscribing on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you're enjoying the show or have any suggestions for us at all, please leave us a rating and a review. Thank you as always for listening to Ballpark Dimensions and see you next week.